Tyrese Halliburton was stunned, Malika. Uh, the league is stunned at this trade. First 10 for three. Welcome to another edition of the In Corners Podcast. This is your host, Mark Schindler. As always, before we get started today, if you have not already, please be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts. We always want to hear from you and get your feedback. Um, I'm joined, as always, again, by Caitlin Cooper, my good good friend and co-host over at Indie Corners. Caitlin, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Excited to launch into another draft podcast today. That makes two of us. Who are we covering today? Today, we are staying in the Big Ten, and we're going to shift to Iowa and look at Keegan Murray. Yeah, it was uh, one state over. Is it one state over? I can't remember. I My, my Midwest geography is terrible right now. It all kind of runs together living in Ohio. Um, but yes, we're, we're bringing in a good friend of mine and somebody who does fantastic work uh, over on his YouTube right now. Um, just great thoughts on Twitter as well. And that's Ben Pfeiffer. Ben, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing well. I believe it's actually two states over. Um, it is. But- oh. Well, I guess yeah. I, yeah, I promise I've passed geography, but <laughs> I was gonna say you live in the Midwest, Mark. It's it's all the same, man. It really <laughs> is. Uh, but you know, yeah. I appreciate you. I appreciate you both having me on, and I'm excited to talk some draft today. Yeah, definitely. Um, Caitlin, I guess. Well, do you want to do you want to preface what we're doing today for those who have not listened to our first pod on Jane Ivy? Which also, if you guys have not listened to the first pod on Jane Ivy, go listen to that. We did that with Adam Spinella from the Boxing One. Jane's a super intriguing prospect, and we had a great time on that one. Yeah, so basically what we're doing, if you haven't listened to that one yet, which I agree with Mark, go listen to it if you haven't, is it's called Stock Up, Stock Down. So Mark and I both select a small sampling of games from the player. We're watching the same games, and then we're picking one clip that we think, you know, that makes us a little bit higher on that player, and one thing that we notice that, you know, might make us a little bit lower on the player. And then we're going to run those past our invited draft expert, which today has been, and get his more overarching takes on what he's seen from Keegan so far um, through his own research. So that's what we're going to launch into. And I'll just turn it over to Mark and let him hit his stock up first. Yeah. Um, I, I'm trying to think if I want to start with, well, I mean, can we do it? I, I feel like I've done this two weeks in a row, starting stock down and, and first. Uh, let's let's start stock up. Um my it's going to sound uh like a dumb thing but i went a little bit more macro with this one and instead of choosing one clip um one of like one of the notes that i kept coming back to and this isn't just from these three games because we watched um uh geez uh ohio state michigan state and the purdue game uh right at the end as well um and i took i think the, the amount of times i wrote like I, I haven't like loved everything Keegan's done, but then I look and I'm like, he has 17 points in seven minutes. Like, and the thing for me is just production, um, which it, I, I think part of why I want to dive into that is I'm not sure how to gauge it sometimes. And that's why I wanted to bring you on Ben, because like productivity is so important. Like, I mean, he's a ridiculously good offensive rebounder, just good rebounder overall runs the floor. He totally eats doing the little things without even having to touch the ball sometimes. Um, I'm just not sure how to gauge that at times is kind of where I'm at. And I think that'll encompass more, you know, in terms of talking about where we're at with him uh, as a draft pick, you know, based on position or whatnot. But um, that's kind of where I would start. 
because especially like watching the Ohio State game, I thought that he kind of struggled at times in the first half, particularly against E.J. Liddell. But then again, I'm like, okay, I'm seven minutes into this game and he has 17 points. Like I just, that's just the kind of thing where I, I don't, I don't know how to gauge that all the time. Yeah, I think um, it, it can be hard because uh, uh, production in college is like a very variable predictor when it comes to the draft. Like some players who produce like crazy end up being Zion or Zion TBD or Anthony Davis or, or something like that. Um, and then the other ones end up being Frank Kaminsky or uh, like Keegan's ex-teammate Luca Garza or like Denzel Valentine. Like all of these players were like the best players in college and would do the same thing where they'd put up, you know, 17 points in, in you know, five minutes um, seemingly out of nowhere. But I think for me, the it's, you know, which is not an easy thing to do is to just try, try to try to think of how and why they're scoring the way they are and producing the way they are and to what extent that's going to translate to uh, the NBA level. And I think a lot of that is or the foundation of that is, is seeing what you know skills they have and, and traits they have, um, how those traits can be improved and what their role looks like now versus what it's going to look like in the NBA. And I'm sure we'll get into this later, but I think for Keegan, especially for me, um, I'm not sure, like, I, I feel like his role is going to be very, very different. In, in the NBA than it, than it is in college um, where he's like a primary offensive engine in college. But uh, you know, I, I figure, I know I, I figure we, we'd probably align that. You know, I don't think those are his real skill sets for the NBA is you know, being that kind of primary offensive engine who brings the ball up and, you know, runs pick and rolls and gets lots of ISOs and things. Well, exactly. And I think that's kind of what I find interesting too, because like a lot of the bucket study scores are not from um from, from doing some of those things. Like, obviously, he scores a lot out of isolation and out of post-ups, too. But, like, the things that he does just flowing in the office, like, he's a really good cutter. Um, he's really good at hitting the glass. Uh, just, like, small things. Like, um, he finds ways to, to really impact the scoreboard without necessarily having plays run for him at times. Um, and, obviously, like, that's not a mode of self-creation in itself. But, like, you know, you and I have talked about this offline before. Um, and I think Caitlin and I have talked about it a little bit too, but like there is just like an inherent value to like being somebody like looking at somebody like O'Shea Brissett who can be incredibly impactful without even having plays run for them. Yeah, I mean, and, and what you're saying about the production, like it's very hard to understate how statistically excellent he was. Um, you just, I mean, look at his usage rate. It's 29%, which I get what Ben's saying. And I think we will get into that later, but his usage rate's 29% and he has a turnover rate below six. Um, that's just absurd right there. Like look at the NBA and try to find the only two players who had that degree of usage with a turnover rate in the single digits that were at that level was Clay Thompson and Christoph Sprzingis. And then you also have to measure in the fact that he also has the block rate and he recorded in total more steals than turnovers. Like, I mean, a lot of that is just absurd at the college level. So, um, like I said, I think we'll get into how some of that will scale when he's at the NBA versus in college, but. I do think that we should highlight exactly. I mean, he tripled his scoring average and he increased his three point percentage from like the upper twenties to nearly 40 on almost three more attempts per game. Like this is pretty wild increase in production in your second season. Yeah. Um, I mean, before we even go to your stock, oh, that's one thing I want to ask Ben too. I have like a million questions. Keegan is such an interesting prospect to me. Like I feel like I've been all over the place on him. Um, I mean, talking about growth curves, I think we, we were talking about this in a group chat yesterday too. Um, and looking at guys who are the same age, even, but like 
guys are just on different growth curves. Like how much for you does it factor in the growth that Keegan has had from who he was last year to this year? Because I mean, he went from a guy who was, you know, a fringe starter at times last year to being, you know, a borderline national player of the year this year. So how do you try and factor in some of that stuff when you're looking at, at, you know, moving forward in, in the draft? I think it definitely matters, but I think like age is really important in this kind of context. Um, like Keegan, while, you know, being a sophomore is, is going to be 22 in on his first NBA game, uh, which is like pretty average senior age. Um, and while I definitely think it's probably, you know, it's just as pertinent to, to look at age, to look at like growth, like growth curve. Exactly. Like Keegan was, was a late bloomer in terms of his college start. Um, and, you know, as a sophomore, he really bloomed. And I think the, the level of growth, especially in his shot is just really, really impressive. Um, the fact that he's able to be such like an impactful and, and versatile shooter. Um, and, you know, as you two have been saying, some, someone that really like impacts the game positively at the college level in basically all ways. Um, but I definitely think like we've seen players like this, um, like really explode around age 21, 22 in college. Um, and then, you know, maybe not, maybe you get, get very hyped because of that. Um, and then maybe have have like not as great of a, an NBA career. Of course, it happens, you know, where, where, where older players really have success. Um, and I don't think like it, it's 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 smart to just say, oh, he's 21, 22. It's not worth, you know, considering. But I definitely think it's, it's important to look at those two things together. But uh, certainly this is this is the kind of growth curve you want to see if, if you're a Keegan Murray optimist. Um, the, the growth is impressive. And I definitely don't think it's it's like it's correct to say he just like has no more upside or like he's not going to improve anymore because um, it's clear that he like started, you know, potentially started developing late um, and has been on this really positive development curve um, and keeps growing as well. So I definitely think it matters a lot. Um, I think looking at like overall development curve and, and seeing how players improved in a lot of ways is, is really important um, rather than just like if they're shooting better because like, you know, shooting one season shooting samples in college are small, but it does seem like Keegan has like become like so much better, which I, yeah, I definitely think is important. Well, Caitlin, I'll let that transition to you. What is your stock up for this episode? My stock up, I'm kind of generally calling completeness, but it's the very opening possession of the big 10 championship against Purdue. And they start, I was running a set and they're starting it to bring Keegan off of a stagger. And it's a similar variation that Nate Bjorkren ran for Justin Holiday last year, where the player that the stagger is being set for, Keegan is the first screener, but then he flips around and comes off the second screen, which effectively becomes a pin down, which that could be a shot. And kind of what Ben's saying before, like you're seeing a lot of versatility in the types of shots that he's taking from three. This isn't just somebody standing in a corner and shooting spot up threes or just standing at the wing and getting these off the catch. Like he's doing stuff off of motion and not just this motion. Like you can see him doing a lot of variations and staggers where he pops out as the first screener sometimes. And the second screener does like a pin in, or they'll do the twirl split action where the first cutter comes through the two screens. And then he flips around and comes off the second. He's making those shots. He did more in the pick and pop this season above the break. Um, also did some, a little bit of dabbling with step backs as well, but in this play, just want to highlight that this is a similar play that the Pacers have actually run in recent seasons with their four being Justin Holiday. So he gets it. He does not shoot immediately flows into um, side to side action as, as the dribble handoff operator pitches it out and then cuts to the basket. 
and what looks like a cut, he stops on a dime and seals on the block, has to extend his arm like go-go gadget to catch it. And then on the way down, turns that into a mid-range jumper and cans it. So I think seamlessly being able to do all of those things in general, but let alone on the same possession, speaks to his interchangeability at the four spot. And we can get into how much they'll use the post, especially a Rick Carlisle team. But the Pacers literally do not have anybody in recent time. Like really rack your brain and think of a four who could go from coming off motion in a stagger set, motion strong, to actually diving into a post-up or in the reverse of this. When they were playing Ohio State and we watched that game, he's in the post and gets denied and comes off a middle pin down from his brother and shoots a three at the top of the key off motion. So in the reverse, think of a post player that the Pacers have had in recent time who could vacate the post and go shoot off of a screen. Oh, like legitimately, I was thinking about this the other day, not to make a one-to-one comp, of course, but like the last player who could do that was Danny Granger, like that I can think of. I mean, yeah. can you bring up anybody else other than him? Like, I it just, I can't. Well, yeah, because I mean, imagine watching Justin Holiday be like, okay, they've, they've stopped me from getting off my shot. I'm going to go dive into a post-up. And like I said, like <laughs> even to call that a post-up isn't fair because that's not a traditional post-up. That's a very modern version of that where he's doing it off a of cut putting in his work early to establish and seal position. And then it's, it's more him hunting a jump shot than it even is, you know, draining shot clock in the post. So, or watching Sabonis, like, can you imagine Sabonis vacating the block last year and, and going to the top of the key and shooting off a pin down from miles like that? That's just not something you would have seen from a pacer in recent times. So um, I almost like everything about this possession. There's one little thing that's going to be part of my stock down, but I just wanted to highlight in general what I think the big selling point of Keegan Murray is and whether he's on a team that will allow him to do all those things is just the overall completeness. Because what we're not seeing in this picture too is that um, the guy does a lot grab and go um, coast to coast as the transition ball handler as well. So Definitely. One thing I wanted to ask you too, Caitlin, and I'll ask you as well, Ben, um, how do you feel about his passing? Because I think it's something that I found interesting. Like, obviously, you'd never want to just take straight, you know, assist from the box score. Um, I think especially for his role, like you mentioned with the low turnover rate, um, like I don't think that he's like some preternatural pass or anything, but I, I was pretty – I've been pretty impressed this year considering what his usage is like, you know, and being the option that he is in that offense uh, that, that he – I mean, he doesn't really make hazardous passes, but I also feel like he's pretty good at moving the ball as well. Yeah, that's going to be part of my stock down a little bit, not Mm -hmm. passing, but because I don't want to give away too much, but because of how much he uses a spin move, I think there's times where smart defenses that have done a lot of scouting are going to sit on how frequently he wants to go to the right and they'll bring another defender. Like you saw Purdue do that in the second half where they were immediately bringing the guy whenever he was going to turn. And he made the right pass out of that one time. And I think it got a three. Iowa didn't make it, but that's one spot because of what some of his limitations are that I think is an area of growth for him where being able to make those types of reads quickly because of what he is as a driver is, is a spot that I think, he could still have a little bit of upside. Definitely. Well, Ben, do you have anything you want to add on that? Yeah, I I kind of agree with I, I def, actually no, I definitely agree with what Caitlin said about the not passing. Um, I think like when we discussed the the, the turnover rate, uh, I think like considering like what the player does as a passer is important for me. Um, and I really think that Keegan is just not someone who it's like it's hard to know. Um, because we, you know, we don't know what goes behind the scenes with coaching and, and development and their training staff. 
So there's a play I know in, in that Purdue game where Keegan you know, attacks a closeout um, and he creates an advantage off, off of the, off of like a pump fake attacking closeout and Travion Williams stunts at him, yep. um, leaving a pretty clear like two V one situation to make a pass. And he just like, he just turned, he just kind of freezes up and, and I think he turns the ball over or shoots a bad shot. I think when you kind of task, Keegan with those more like more complex reads and more complex situations you, you know even saying that I think that's a pretty standard situation for a closeout attacker in the NBA being able to make a decision at a help defender I think Keegan really struggles there I think as Caitlin uh, w- was saying like the flow of offense stuff he can really do which is certainly important but for me like for his upside especially if you're talking about him as like a top four or five pick um, I really want a lot more as a playmaker like I think a lot of the low turnover rate can be explained by him just shooting a lot uh, I think there is certainly uh, like like an aspect of him when you have him play within the flow of the offense where he knows like how to make the the next swing pass and um, necessarily not to like throw reckless passes but sometimes I wish he was a little bit more reckless as a passer I think there are quite a few moments in his game I think there were certainly a couple in that Purdue game and pretty much in most games I see him play where there's a read either where he's doubled um, out of the post or he's attacking a closeout or he's in transition where there is a player on the block or maybe someone not in an obvious kickout situation that I'd love to see Keegan try to hit. Um, even if it's a turnover, even if the ball goes out of bounds, I just want to see as an evaluator that Keegan is seeing these options and, and knows he has these options and is willing to try them. Cause as I was like saying, it, it's hard to like passing is, you know, can be hard to evaluate because, it's very, it's, it's, you know, so much of it is a mental skill and it's really hard to know what's going on inside a player's head without really knowing and talking to them. But I pretty much agree on, on everything that's been said. Like the passing has to be wanting more. And it certainly is, I think, a, a, a big macro area of improvement for, for Keegan once he gets to the NBA. Before we move on to the stock downs, I do want to get um, Mark's input on this because this is something that I thought about a lot while we were watching him since he was the most efficient um, post player in the country this season and, and had decent volume as well. Um, when you watched him in the post and you know what his various post moves are and, and whatnot and how he generates his post ups, Mark, how much do you think Rick Carlisle would use him in that um, particular type of play type based on what you've seen of the Pacers? I'd be pretty surprised. Like, I just don't, I mean, from what we've seen this last year, with I mean obviously he got out of it eventually, but considering how long it took to get Domas into the post, um I mean I would I would be kind of I would be very surprised. One thing like I I do want to say too, like obviously it's not just a straight post-it, but like he is so good on quick seals, like mm-hmm. so good on quick seals. I love that's one of the things like kind of like I was mentioning at the, off the top, like I love that part of his game. Like it's just such a simple thing the way that he runs the floor. He's so good at pinning guys in and getting himself really good, easy opportunities at the rim. So, like, obviously it's not like a post-up per se, but that's another thing where, like, okay, if the team is not getting out and running in transition, I think you're limiting Keegan Murray a little bit because part of what makes him really good is the ability to just absolutely eat with easy buckets. Um, And it's kind of like we didn't mention it. it, We both mentioned, like, after the pod, we were like, damn, we should have talked about this. But, like, if Jaden Ivey's not running out in transition – then what are we doing here? And I feel pretty similar with Keegan. And, and again, like, like you're mentioning too, with post-ups, like I think that there's real, if you can get 
some out of him and and learn some of those reads in the post as well. Like, I think that there's real value there with him, but again, it's going to be, what is the willingness to do that from the coaching staff? Yeah. Right. Because I mean, Tyrese definitely wants to play fast. We both know this, like he's yeah. jumping out of his skin, wants to do it. I think that Rick does want to do it. It's just a balance between that and some of the play calling and who else is on the floor with Tyrese Halliburton. If he has more people that want to do it, I kind of think that would naturally nudge him. And that's why I didn't think a lot of it with Jaden and Ivy, even though we know that after the trade, their trade, their pace went up, but their overall transi- transition frequency as a portion of how many possessions they were getting did not change um, post pre-trade. It did for about four or five games and then kind of normalized back to where they had been. But the post thing is interesting because I really thought about that a lot because in part, I think that, I think that Keegan's going to be playing more out on the perimeter regardless of where he would be drafted in most situations. But if you look at it, what you're saying, um, the Pacers post frequency under Nate Bjorker and they rank 19th in the NBA under Carlisle that went to 24th. Um, Sabonis's post frequency was definitely slashed. I mean, last year under Bjorkren, or I guess I should say now two years under Bjorkren, he was at 7.6 post-ups per game, a post frequency of 20.6%. And that went down to 16% and 4.8 per game. Now, some of that did rise, as you're saying, like, especially during the COVID stretch when they didn't have other playmakers out there, they started doing a little bit more of it. But when you watch the ways that they did get post-ups when they did it, it makes me think that they would be amenable to some of the ways that Keegan does it as well. Because even if you go back to Rick's time in Dallas, Luka Doncic posted quite a bit if he could dribble into the post-up and it became more of a, you know, a methodical back down. What, what they shy away from more when you watch it is running like more complicated actions that are designed to get post-entry passes. So like even this year, I mean, they didn't do it a lot because they didn't have like the physical and strength advantages, especially after the trade. But there were times where they needed to look at the interior matchups against switches because of what some of Tyrese's own limitations are when he has a big out on the perimeter playing him close and what he can get in juice off drives where, you know, they would occasionally throw it into Isaiah Jackson. And then maybe that becomes like a step back too, or they'd throw it into Jalen and he couldn't get anywhere. Sometimes even what some of Miles Turner's limitations are. So I think what you're saying, like Keegan getting down the floor quickly, putting in his work early, ceiling, those were things that the Pacers did do last year. And if you can throw it to him on the wing and he has, you know, a smaller player and he can do, because I mean, they were even trying, you and I both talked about it. Like they tried to have Sabonis do that in the early portion. It was like, they didn't want to take shot clock time to run a wedge set or run across screen for him to establish position and throw the ball into him. But if he was on the wing, like when they're in Brooklyn or errantly when they were in Toronto, he would go into bully drives from the wing and try to drive into a post up. The difference being is he doesn't have the shot for people to play him closely. So then it was like him having to drive into a brick wall. Once he got there, if Keegan's shots respectable and they have switches in certain spots I think Rick will let him do it. Is he going to do it to the degree that he did in college? Probably not, but I don't think he's probably going to do that to the degree that he did in college um, at most teams where he would be drafted. But I kind of think that they would let him do some of it. And if they wouldn't, I think that they need to, because they just, they don't have this dimension to their offense. Like, no, and I think that that's a need physicality and strength and what they can do on the interior to me headed into next season is a need along with, you know, having bigger wings and point of attack defenders. Yeah, no, without a doubt. And especially too, like considering that he's a guy, like if a smaller wing does get put on him to run him off the line um, and stick with him, like, okay, that's an easy way to punish uh, mismatch or trying to mismatch like that. If you can take somebody down to the block like that. So that'd be really interesting. Um, 
I guess, should I flow into my stock down or do you want to go with yours? No, you go ahead. Um, so I, I, again, I feel like I keep cheating, but mine is like, it's more like stock unsure. Um, because it's, he scores a basket here. Um, I clipped this a couple days ago from the Ohio state game. Um, I actually thought like, as well as he scored, it was just the process that really stood out to me as being very difficult. Like I thought EJ, EJ Liddell and Zed key gave him a lot of problems in that game, even though like, again, like it's, it's hard to parse through because he did score a lot of easy baskets, but like in, so I'll just describe the play. Um, they go into that twirl action. Like you mentioned out of the play, he pops out to three um, in an empty corner off a screen from his brother, Chris um, Zed key switches onto him. And like, to be fair, Zed key, I think he's about six, eight or six, nine. And he's pretty mobile for his size, really strong too. Um, but like, okay, Keegan pops out the three Zed chases him out to the three point line. And he tries to take him off the bounce gets stonewalled, flips it back to his brother um, and steps back again and then goes um, and this time goes into a post, um, ends up going to that spin move. But like the problem is like not not even saying problem is the wrong way to put it, but like he really still just does not generate any separation whatsoever. And when he does end up getting the, the bucket and an one, I just look at that. And I'm like, OK, you're not playing against Ed Key in the NBA. Like, I think if you have um, like. I'm trying to think of like a better example, but like, let's just say that, you know, like that. Okay. If you're playing against Thad Young and you're playing against Toronto, if Thad chases you out the three point line, like that is quicker. That has longer arms. He's, he's able to keep you in front. Like, I just wonder where he's at with the driving game because even like, I don't think his handle is bad at all, but I feel like he's much better with his handle, like from a standstill almost. Um, like, I feel like he's better kind of like, like Ben, a little bit like Jabari Smith. I know we've talked about this a bit. Like he's good at getting like one or two dribbles off into a move, putting more together. I, I, I'm not quite sure with, and I feel like part of that is where his burst is at. Like, not that you normally think about a power forward having a ton of burst, but I don't feel like Keegan really has that kind of downhill ability alongside his handle. So that's one of the things that I question a little bit. Like, I think obviously the shot is really good and it looks like it's on a trajectory of being really good at the next level. Um, I just am curious to see how good he can be at attacking closeouts and using his handle and whether or not there's anything else there, because I think that is like, like you mentioned earlier, Caitlin, like that's the big swing skill to me, because if he adds a little bit more there, like, then that's like, you're cooking with grease. But right now I do definitely kind of wonder about that. It's funny that that's what you picked because half court drives is my stock down. That's what <laughs> I picked as well. So, um, yeah, I think some of it's a burst issue. He doesn't generate a lot of separation. And a lot of times if he is like, or I just happened, it wasn't one of the ones that we picked, but I watched him play Illinois as well. And they had some like, lengthier yeah, defender and, uh, he was letting guys get back in front, like even a quick rip through. He's not, he's not generating a lot of separation on. And I think, but the other part of the problem for me is, is that, I mean, a lot of this shows up when he has to generate it going to his left. And he, like I said before, he wants to spin back to his right almost exclusively to get back to his right hand. That can become somewhat predictable where then guys are going to knife down on that. And that showed up in the Big Ten tournament when teams probably, you know, were doing more scouting at that point of the season. And so then it becomes that he becomes very limited to just straight line drives. If he can become shiftier. I think that helps him because I think probably the play that Ben was mentioning, I have, I'll have linked in the post as well, because part of the problem there is he doesn't really have a Euro step or a way that like, if you don't have a lot of speed, 
you at least need to be shifty so that you're not just having to attack on a straight line against people who are probably quicker than you and you have the burst. I do think some of it's his handle. Because if you watch his handle when he's in the open court, which this is going to be true for a lot of people, but when you watch his handle in the open court versus when he's in these half-court situations, it's a lot more protective. Like, I think it's a combination of all those things. But I'll definitely let Ben jump in here because that's not exactly the same clip, but we're on the same track. Yes, I, I agree with everything said. Um, that is also my biggest, you know, I, I, I wasn't the, the, the stock up, stock down. If, if we're following that, I would say that's definitely my biggest worry, uh, with Keegan when we're projecting him as like a top five pick, um, that like, that is, as we've been talking about, like he is like a prolific college scorer and it seems like people wanted him to be a pretty prolific scorer in the NBA. And, but like if for prolific NBA scorers, like advantage creation is so, is so important. Um, every great NBA scorer does it in some way, whether it's with burst or strength or craft or handle or flexibility or something like that. Every single one has it. And I don't really know where Keegan gets his, uh, which is a, a big issue. As you've been saying, the handle to me is, is pretty problematic in, in tight spaces. Like, like we've been talking about in the open floor, if you get him going and he can you know, not be pressured by ball handlers, he's fluid and he can, he can really move, which is awesome. But when you have him attacking closeouts or running secondary pick and rolls or coming off of these twirl screens and corner exits where he isn't able to just shoot, I think it's pretty, pretty, pretty rough when you pressure his handle. I, I find him to be pretty stiff generally, uh, pretty inflexible in, in getting his shoulder low in generating leverage uh he needs to get on that miles turner yoga wave <laughs> i think if he if he wants to improve that um and and just to kind of underscore the advantage creation i did this game with mark over tech so um mark can't play but i'll do it oh. with you caitlin um so this is this is just a fun little thing i like to do so keegan murray obviously has a very extensive highlight tape from this season um, he, you know, his like uh, his like 16 minute long highlight tape is full of many clips. Um, do you want to guess how many clips I counted that were half court advantage create that that I, that I would consider like advantages created in the half court? So just plays where Keegan, you know, didn't have transition um, or, you know, it wasn't like an off ball cut, but he caught the ball in, in some way and, you know, created an advantage and, and was able to get a score off of it. I'm going to guess six. That, that's really impressive because that's the right answer. <laughs> because I, I, I tried to come through and find because what you're saying, like if, if, he's, oh in a, if he's in a standstill. It's really good. That's impressive. If he's in a standstill, because they probably found like the handful of clips that I found and then put them all in a highlight package. Right, right. But uh, but I, I think that the step back is coming. Like he doesn't get a ton of arc on his shot. It's somewhat of a line drive when he goes to it, but like threading the ball back between his legs from back to his left and stepping back to his left. I think he had probably like six or seven of those shots this year, which is probably what you, what you saw in the highlight package. I'm yeah, guessing he had a couple, I think in, in, in the highlight tape, like the 16 minutes, and to be fair, like highlights are just highlights. This is obviously yeah. not a full representation of his game, but I think it's a good like macro overview of, you know, what a player can do is like at their best, how at your best, how good are you? I think is a, I think is a pretty valuable prospector. A couple of them were those step back threes um, or those step back jumpers where he is able to use the, the through the legs or just like a pullback dribble into, you know, into a shot with his fluidity uh, where at least at the college level, bigs like really have trouble guarding that because they're just like, aren't guys that big yeah. and that fluid. And like the shot, I think is probably the most impressive component of his NBA translation. Um, a couple of those 
where he used where he w- was able to use his kind of like burst fluidity combo to get by um, big. So he had switched on. And then one was like a handle flash, I'd call it. It was against Michigan where he did I, like a behind the back into a crossover against uh, Musa Diabate um, and, and was able to create a little separation. But like even on that play, um, like the shot he ended up getting was like a fairly contested layup. Like once he got that initial separation, he wasn't able to hold it. And I think that's kind of a recurring issue I see with Keegan where even if he's able to, you know, use his strength or his fluidity or, or some other skill or, you know, a, a, a successful spin back to his right, as we've, been, as we've been talking about, to gain that initial advantage, um, I think he often squanders it, which is something I have in my notes for him. And I think some of it is, is a tools-related thing where maybe he's not the, the athlete or, you know, not, not, you know, skilled enough or just not shifty enough to keep those. But I definitely think there's also a process thing where Keegan is just seems to be very comfortable in what he's comfortable at. Like he's comfortable with the tough post-ups. He's comfortable with the spin backs to his right. He's comfortable with the tough face-up jumpers. Um, and I think he really just leans on those a little more than I wish he would as an NBA scorer. There was another play in that Purdue game where uh, he had like a, he had like a secondary pick and roll and he like initially got his defender in jail uh, and used his off arm to get him off and got a little advantage going downhill, which was really nice. Um, there was a, a dropping big, but Keegan is strong and can go through him. But Keegan just kind of pulled the ball back and went into a post up and the play ended up dying. So I think generating those advantages um, in the half court when, you know, when you don't have a cut, when you don't have a post up, when you don't have like a cross screen, because those are obviously going to come, but you have to be able to do more than that if you're going to be a star scorer in the league. Um, so for me, the, the biggest thing to, to keep track of for Keegan is can he generate those advantages and can he capitalize on them when he does generate them? So. Okay, well, that's perfect to flow into what my stock down is because this is all pretty much going to bleed together. But when I said before that there was one little thing about that Purdue possession that I brought up that I didn't like, when he came off the pin down, there's a pretty clear spot that if what we're saying, like if he has a little bit of burst and he can curl into a catch off of that screen, which he would have to put the ball down on the floor with his left in order to do. But like if you watch, which it'll be in the post, but if you look at the screenshot of this, like there's a perfect opportunity to put the ball down on the court there and then play two man game on the right side of the floor. Cause Zach Eady's totally backed up playing center field and Jaden Ivy and what I found to be a very recurrent theme has his back completely turned to the ball following a cutter and has no idea what's even going on. So mm. if he gets the ball there, he can play two man game and potentially hit that guy rolling or just go into Zach Eady playing way far back. And, and instead of doing those things, he catches it and is very square, which I think could limit him somewhat if you are going to use him like in some four or five pick and roll instances to even be able, like, he's not even going to try to do this, but that wasn't the clip that I picked. What I ended up picking, Mark said some stuff about the Ohio state game. I think one of the main ways that Iowa tried to get him like isolation attempts is with this particular action where they have screens on both blocks and it's not floppy, but it looks kind of like floppy. And the two guards are just going to exchange sides. And then he just flashes up to the right elbow to get, you know, he can, from there, he can put the ball on the floor and go to the rim. He might shoot an elbow jump or whatever he's going to do. So he comes and gets it and tries to drive left. And what we were saying, like the defender just gets right back in front of him. So it becomes a very wide angle layup. Like there's not really an advantage maintained all the way to the basket. But on the flip side of this, 
on the very next possession after a timeout, they run the same play again. And this is where I do like him and think that there's a lot that as far as like skill ball that can translate because they effectively run the exact same play back to back. The guards reject the screens. He flashes up to the paint and instead of getting that pass, he backdoors and catches a lob. So like that is a recognition of, Hey, what I just did didn't work and I can still create an advantage. It's not going to be off the dribble, but I can backdoor and catch this pass. And that is also a spot where like, if you're going to a team like the Pacers and you can play with Tyrese Halliburton who can create, perimeter offensive advantages for him like and again it would go back to where the Pacers draft I can definitely see the skill ball fit between he and Tyrese even though I agree with everything that we've been saying yeah I think like it's certainly worth mentioning that like like Keegan's like never really played with a like like a guard who can pass um and like other players who can create and that's always important for me to, to look into, into, into when we're talking about context, when we're talking about someone's role. Um, it's like the easy buckets. Obviously, Keegan has issues creating easy buckets for himself, which is you know, something we've already talked about. But he didn't get that many easy buckets created by others. Um, and most NBA teams have more than one way to consistently create easy buckets for others, especially, you know, especially the good ones. Um, and, and, and Halliburton's quickly blossoming into one of the best in the league at that. So I, I agree a lot there that this is going to be like, this would be a really cool opportunity for, for Keegan to, to maybe magnify his, his off ball skills. And as we've been saying, his cutting skill and some of that play recognition and the finishing once he gets to the rim is, is, is pretty solid as well. Um, so it, it would be really fun to see him play next to Halliburton. I, I think Halliburton has a, you know, the unique quality of uh, basically anyone you could think of. It would be like, yeah, it'll be really fun seeing him play next to Halliburton, but <laughs> And Mark, since we didn't actually get to it in stock down and neither of us picked it, I do want to get Ben's input and yours as well on the defensive end of the floor. Because, you know, you look at his raw numbers. I'm very curious to hear what both of you think, because I see a lot that he's referred to as like, you know, a weak side rim protector, a help protector. And he did average 3.2 steals plus blocks. But what was your overall opinion? And again, I haven't watched as many games as I'm sure Ben has of him as a defender in general and particularly as a rim protector or a help defender? I think it's just solid, which is kind of like the word that I come back, like keep coming back to with Keegan, like nothing is spectacular. Everything is, is, is all right. Where I think the, like the, the stock numbers kind of overstate the, the level of, of help defender he is. Um, I think like Keegan certainly flashes flashes instincts and flashes the ability to to make a rotation one pass away and and like make a play off of the ball but you don't really see him ever making really high level defensive reads like all of the best NBA you know all the best college defenders like I think of like Devin Vassell uh, Mikhail Bridges um, I'm sure like many others like will make those like two three pass away reads uh complicated you know like constantly digging at, at the nail um I think like while Keegan isn't really mistake prone, uh, which is always, you know, always a nice thing. You know, he, I don't think he's like frequently getting backdoored or missing assignments. Well, you know, he certainly does sometimes because every college player does, but I just like, don't think he's very high impact, which is I like, I've seen people kind of discuss him as like a super high impact, like a versatile defender. And while I think he's solid, like he's going to be able to guard two and a half positions. Maybe, um, you know, he, he's not going to be someone who you hunt. 
I, I certainly don't think he's someone who adds value. And especially, uh, you know, I, I, I hate to keep harping back, but he's going to be 22 at, at this time uh, where he's starting his NBA career. And like, especially when it comes to off-ball defense, I found that older players really, really tend to mature a lot there. And like, I think for like, when you're talking about like 18 year old, 19 year old freshman, if you're like a bad off-ball defender, it's oftentimes I think that's, you know, very par for the course. Like most guys that young are pretty bad at team defense because, you know, most of them haven't, didn't really have to do it in high school or in, or in AAU or wherever they played before. But Keegan's been doing this. And I still just wish, like, I wish, I wish there was more from him, basically. Um, I don't think anything is, like, I just don't think there's any high-level rim protection. And I think, you know, because he's not, like, an elite vertical athlete. He's, you know, a solid, a good one, but he's not an elite one. He doesn't have elite length. He doesn't have elite timing. Um, all of these things, like, are going to become harder in the NBA. Like, rotations are going to become faster and tighter. And the, the finishers are going to become stronger and quicker and have better touch. And you're just going to need to be that much quicker. And I, I worry about Keegan keeping up um, as like a real positive defender in the league. So that's kind of where, where I'm at on Keegan's defense. Uh, I'm just going to see what Mark thinks as well. Yeah, I think I would actually push back a little bit. I don't even know if like I'm there with two and a half positions in the league um, because I don't think his feet are fast enough to keep up with most threes in the NBA. I was just kind of like throwing on a generous. Approach. Oh yeah, no, I, sorry, I, I, didn't, I, didn't mean, I didn't mean to be rude. Oh no, no, I certainly yeah. like. I'm, 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 I'm hearing you. Yes. <laughs> yeah, like I just think like he's pretty strictly a four in my mind. Like I, I like maybe there's something where if he really is able to add some more, like he is very strong, but like maybe if he adds a little bit more, there is some value as a five. I don't, I'm not really there right now, but. Um, I would say like, the, I felt like his defense was a little bit better last year, which obviously, you know, he's on a, a smaller role. So that, that makes sense to some degree. Or are you kind of in that same vicinity or what, what do you think? I honestly like, don't like, didn't watch Keegan as, as much and like nearly much in depth. Cause last year was kind of like a break year for me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> last year was when I did like the watch two games and be like, yeah, this guy's pretty good thing. Yeah. Um, but I certainly like, like that would certainly make sense considering, like there is absolutely a correlation, like, like almost always when you have guys who enter way bigger offensive roles, uh, they tend to regress a little bit defensively. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I certainly think that's probably yeah. true. <laughs> One thing I want to bring up too: how do you just feel about Iowa's defense overall? Cause I, I, I do not like Iowa's defense. Um, we're being completely honest, but, uh, one thing that I did, like, I, I wanted to ask you this too, Caitlin, how do you feel like, I didn't really know how to feel about it because he was like the only guy on the team who does it um, like constantly fronting with his back to the ball. I never really have under like understood that throughout the year. Um, like, do you guys have anything to weigh in? Are you talking about that? fronting the post or fronting an inbounds play or fronting, uh, fronting like, the post, like consistently would front the so post. So he's toes in the on, on the post on the white coverage. He's toes into the lane is what yeah. you're telling me. Um, I guess, I mean, that would, it would obviously be part of Iowa's scheme. I'm guessing that's that they've told him to do that. I mean, there's times where the Pacers have done that in the past. They had Sabonis and, and Miles Turner toes in front Joel Embiid a few times to keep them out of foul trouble. So I guess it would depend on the context. I doubt that they, that NBA teams would be having him do that regularly yeah. in part because I doubt that he would be the player defending a lot of imposing low post threats in most situations, but yeah, I mean, if you watch an Iowa game, like their schemes are going to be all over the place in part because of what their personnel was. I mean, there was a few games where he was at the top of a 1-2-2 press and transition. Sometimes he would play, you know, the second position of that 
I'm just in that Purdue game. They went into a box and won briefly against Jaden Ivey, Jaden Ivey with him playing low box. They play two, three zone. They, you know, do some switching, like what I think Ben's referencing. Like I, I wouldn't feel comfortable with him sw- switching on to perimeter guards. If the Pacers oh, yeah. keep the scheme the way that it is, where they were doing the degree of switching that they were post-trade, I think he would have some problems there. And like what you're saying, I don't think I would feel very good about him. Like offensively, I could see some things that you'd be able to do small ball center wise, but defensively he would have problems if he was having to play small ball center currently. Um, I think just because what I was getting at in part when, and I kind of agree with Ben that I think that the stocks numbers overstate some of what he does as a help defender, because I noticed a lot of spots. And again, like some of it's difficult because, you know, not every team is going to be expecting him to play box and one or one, two, two press or other stuff, but like he's in the box and one and just, I don't want to say it's obliviousness because I don't think that's what it is. It's more like spatial processing and I guess I would say reaction speed of what's going on around him where there's times where it's his rotation mm-hmm. and he doesn't recognize that he needs to be the one there. And then he ends up leaving the rim open in certain circumstances. So I think that would need to get better. I mean, I think it would certainly help him to be playing beside somebody like miles Turner, where some of that's being minimized. And in part, like I go back and forth too, because I'm kind of discounting like the one game I, Mark said you watch Michigan State. I think I watched the Michigan game, so I didn't even watch the right games for this, apparently. But no, I, like, I probably watched the wrong game. That's my but both, but both teams such a were Midwest like, podcast. No, I watched the wrong game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but like both teams are running so much zone, but at the same time, like NBA teams are running more and more zone. So in part, like I wanted to cast some of that aside, but like even the Pacers, like if you trace them over the last three years, They've hit defense bingo. Like, I mean, even under Dan Burke, they're playing three, two under Nate Bjorkman, they're playing triangle and two and box and one and two, three and shifting what they're doing in the two, three. And this year they were switching and triggering man out of their two, three zone and playing one, three, one zone and doing some half court zone and half court trapping. So like, it is becoming more important that guys be able to play in those other different types of schemes. I don't think it translates one-to-one, but like what did show up in the zone as well as in the man-to-man is I think that some of what's being like, I don't want to say purported, but if him is like potentially being a weak side rim protector, I would need to see more progress in that to feel confident that, that he would make those rotations in the way that Ben's saying, when you're against better finishers, quicker finishers, and all of that becomes much faster. I mean, just in the sense that it's a 24 second shot clock, but um, yeah, I think I, I was a little agree. bit lower on his defense after I had watched all that versus yeah. what you would have assumed by just looking at um, the stats on sports reference, I guess is what I would say. Yeah. yeah. I think the, Oh no, oh, no go ahead. I was, I was just going to say, yeah, I think the spatial awareness point is really good. Uh, because I think that's also like a, a nice way to characterize his issues on offense when he's being asked to make those more like complex passes as we talked about, like feel or like is like kind of a nebulous term. But I think blanketly like Keegan's like general like spatial awareness and recognition and processing speed is low on, on both ends. And I, I definitely think that's that's a big impact as like a weak side rim protector. So like when I'm watching the him play defense, like even like when he makes the good place or when he's able to like time up a block, it's like, is that going to be there in the league? Like, is that like one pass over kind of slow rotation going to going to work? Um, or it's, you know, it's like maybe he misses a rotation and doesn't like, like Keelan said, he's, you know, playing, playing that zone 
and there isn't, a, there, you know, there's a space that's open and he misses his rotation of the rim and, and doesn't get punished. I think it's important to think like, is he going to be punished for that in, in the NBA? And the answer is, is almost always, yeah, probably because, because NBA offense is ruthless and NBA offenses are incredible at punishing every single little mistake. And especially the good ones, like it's very hard to be like a, a great NBA defender. Like you have to be so spot on with your recognition um, and even if you're not, you have to have like really incredible athletic tools to be making up for that. Um, and again, I, I think I, I'm totally in agreement that I think he can just kind of fall short. Like not to say that I think he's a bad defender. Like it's not like he's going to be like a liability. I don't think. Cause yeah. you know, he is like large and can move enough and, you know, has, has, you know, has general awareness, but um, this idea of him as like a very like positive defender, someone who you're really getting to be like a wing stopper or a help rim protector is kind of off, kind of off base for me. Yeah. Sorry for interrupting, Mark. No, no, you're totally good. Cause it's like, just to, to hit on too, like um, obviously I'm still trying to learn schemes better and everything. But again, like, I think like what, what you see watching Iowa so much is like, uh, it sounds uh this is like the worst thing ever because like they play zone a lot, but like he, he sees like very zonally, I think is almost the best way to see it. Like when they are playing zone, he's good at staying on his man and doing the right thing to contain his man. But like, also like, dude, you're playing zone. Like, and it feels like he doesn't have the quite those help instincts to, to sniff out. Like you're mentioning sniff out plays. And like, I mean, I, I don't know how much you thought of or how much you thought of EJ Liddell watching uh, Caitlin, but I think I watch, this is not me trying to push my EJ Liddell propaganda event, but like, I think like it's such a good point because you watch EJ Liddell play and it's like, this is a guy who does make those rotations all the time. You see the difference in, and how he picks things up defensively. Um, but I would note too, like, I think like we've hit on a little bit playing in like a different context, I think would have really made him look very different as a defender as well. You know, if you're, if he's playing somewhere where he's not the biggest player on the court all the yeah. time, and, and maybe there is better communication because overall, like, even though, you know, yes, they did do like a lot of funky things. I didn't feel amazing about Iowa's defense at any point this season. Um, and I'm sure coach McCaffrey did not either, but, uh, like, you know, I, I do, I do think I, it would be really interesting to picture him alongside, like, like you mentioned, Caitlin playing alongside miles. Yeah. Because I think sometimes when he's having to play back line, it's not that he's ball watching, but he does track the ball in terms of monitoring kind of strangely where like a kick out's going to go rather than what rotation he may need to make, which leaves the rim open sometimes. But as he did have some nice moments, like in, in ways that you could see him scale a little bit differently, depending mm -hmm. upon who, which defenders are out there. Cause like in the Purdue game, they were forcing Jaden left. He was very far over providing nail help to ensure that Jaden couldn't get into the paint and still got out and had a very nice on balance closeout and was able to run the guy off the line, that type of stuff. And he stayed solid in that situation. So if he's able to do a little bit more of that with, like I said, if there's other, you know, defenders around him and I agree with Ben, I don't, I wouldn't categorize him as a liability. I just don't want what the box score says to overstate some of what he does. But I mean, I think too, that a lot of what he does on both ends of the floor, I would refer to him as like a technician. Like he's going to execute what you give him to do at a very high level. Is he going to always recognize stuff when it's not clear what rotation he may need to make? And it's more of like an emergency situation. Maybe not. Is he always going to recognize what you're saying? Like what type of pass he needs to make when it's outside of a play and he's playing out of pocket Maybe not currently, but I think that there is room for him to grow in both of those areas just because, you know, what I showed in this Ohio State play, he did have a very real self-awareness that like me flashing into that middle isolation, 
I didn't, I didn't find an advantage there, but I can set up my defender and make this read and get back to the rim. He is very skilled in a way that I think will translate to the NBA in certain circumstances. Definitely. Um, do we want to talk a little bit about, you know, just him being, uh, him being, you know, if, if the, like, let's say the Pacers, I believe have the fifth lottery odds right now, if they took him with the fifth pick, which he has been mocked at times to the Pacers with the fifth pick, um, where would you be on that, Caitlin? I'm actually going to let Ben tackle oh, okay, that first. The hedge. Yeah, no, it's not even just a hedge. It's just because he's seen <laughs> no, more players at the I, top I, of the I, draft. I we haven't touched. I haven't <laughs> touched some of these players yet. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> okay. Well, I I will say that I I would call it a not great pick. Um, I think while this certainly is, you know, like I I think myself especially, you know, this is like not the strongest draft in the world. Um, and while I don't think it's like so outrageous to have Keegan in this range. I generally think there are going to be better options like, like Jaden Ivy, who you, know, you two talked about on, on last week's episode, could very well be available. Um, you know, someone like AJ Griffin could, could be available. Um, you know, who, who knows about, you know, someone like Shaden Sharp, who I think all of these players just have substantially more, more upside uh, where they're younger, have more scoring tools, have more defending tools. Um, well, that's kind of, you know, I, I think as we've been touching on uh, with Keegan, that like there's so much he does well and he has so many little skills that translate like like I I think technician is a great way to put it uh where he is able to you know execute schemes at a high level um and is probably going to be you know a pretty good screener rudder uh screener cutter a roller finisher a rebounder um gonna be able to execute a defensive scheme without really messing up I'm gonna be able to create some value as a grab and go player in transition but like how valuable is that really in the top five, especially for like a team like the Pacers? And while yes, they have, you know, they have Tyrese who is looking very, very promising. Uh, I still would say they're certainly hoping to land uh, another player with real star upside. Um, and to me, Keegan just doesn't really fit that kind of parameter. I think the the clearest path to, to a real star ceiling is if the shot ends up just being really, really good. I think the shot is certainly going to be good, the, the off-ball versatility, as we've been saying, is awesome. Like his shot prep off of different shots off of movement is very quick off of those twirl actions and the twist sets and the corner exits on, on ATOs and, and baseline out of bounds are all impressive. But like, I'm just not positive it's going to be enough. I was looking, I was looking through like, uh, I was texting Mark about this the other day. And I, I was looking through like a bunch of old, you know, similar players statistically wise, like just like to see what I could think of for like a, an offensive, like upside comparison, just like um, things that maybe like Keegan reminded me of. And I was really struggling to to find a good one. Cause you know, I think Keegan's pretty unique and just like a lot of players in his archetype, um, you know, the, the real college, like the college fours who really, really produced executed in a scheme um and you know really were able to you know kind of lack those higher end tools ended up not being amazing nba players i I think like the closest approximation i found uh was kata bates diop who has a little bit better of a shooting profile in college but like was similarly like an you know fairly athletic six six seven six eight four who scored on a lot of post-ups and closeouts and was a good shooter and defender but lacked like the high-end tools and was around the same age at like draft day and that's certainly not to say that you know, Keegan's going to end up being, being Kato, who, you know, isn't really a rotate, you know, isn't really a consistent rotation player. I think Keegan's probably better than that, but I worry about the upside. And when you're picking in the top five, that matters a ton to me. 
So I would not love it. If the Pacers, you know, God forbid, slid down to like 10 or 11 or 12, which, you know, would, would, not, would not be ideal, then I think that's more okay. But to me, there's almost certainly going to be someone who I'd rather pick. So I think I agree with that generally. I think that's the way I closed out my little blurb on what we did that like, and again, it's all context on where the pick is at. I think that mm-hmm. the upside, I think that there's reason to be thinking that that's limited because of the athleticism and everything that we've referenced here. But I do think if the Pacers did select him, that I would feel really good about where his fit is with the other people that they have on the team, um, that he would fit right in with certain things that Rick Carlisle runs, especially if they did use him more out on the perimeter that, I would understand it. And like what I said is off the top, like they really don't have and haven't had an interchangeable forward that can do the things that he can do. So I think that he does have a pretty reliable high floor. Now, how happy fans would be like what you're saying, if Jaden Ivey's still on the board and they took Keegan Murray instead, I can almost like hear the tweets in my head right now (laughs) on what that reaction would be. But um, overall, I was left with a positive impression of what I saw from, from Keegan out of the games that we watched. But what do you, what do you think? Like, I'll just quickly say, like, it's, oh. it's it's not like I want to frame him as like a bad or like a bad prospect or a bad player. Like, it's, it's absolutely not the case. It's like he would almost certainly be good. And like, he's like the kind of player who like won't get any GM fired, like, because he's yeah. going to be solid. And you know, that's going to be valuable to some teams. Um, but yeah, I just think, like you said, like, I, I can also totally see the, I mean, especially like the Indiana thing, like if they pass on Ivy, people being uh, pretty upset about that. Yeah, I mean, I feel in the similar vein. I uh, I think it's it's tough because Keegan, much like Chris Duarte last year, is I think going to get a lot of the same billing of like, oh, this guy's old, like you know th- this and that, like, um, and like in spite of like, it's not that we think that he doesn't have a ceiling he could hit, but it's just like, it's Jane Ivy, man. Like I I know that's like the worst analysis whatsoever, but I just think. Uh, like it's very hard for me to watch Jaden Ivey and not think that's somebody who in three years could turn this franchise into a different direction than what they're doing right now. And not that Keegan can't be part of a really good team, but I just think if you're, it, it just comes down to what is the team trying to do? I think is the best way to put it. If the team is trying to be a playoff team next year, then sure draft Keegan Murray. Um, but I also just, I question the the process there. Um, but I guess we won't really know what they think or do until we hear from Kevin Pritchard after the lottery. <laughs> and can I even say that, so- we probably won't know. So can, can I say something really controversial? Yeah. Um, I think that I feel a lot better about Jaden Ivey's overall ceiling for, you know, wh- everything we talked about on the last pod. But if you were to ask me, which player do you think makes more sense with Tyrese Halliburton to play off of each other? I might actually say Keegan Murray. I don't hate that. I like, I can't, I can't fully disagree. I think that that Keegan addresses some of what Tyrese's weaknesses are a little bit better. And when I look at the, the pairing between uh, Tyrese and Jaden, I think that Tyrese would optimize Jaden. I'm not sure if I think that Jaden would optimize Tyrese. That's yeah. Okay. That's the one you put like that. Yes. (laughs) I, I actually very much agree with that. Um, I, I I totally agree with that actually. Yeah. I think, I, I think the Tyrese, um, optim- like I, again, like I, I kind of mentioned, like Tyrese is a player who can like optimize a lot of people because of his ability to create for others. Um, and while I, I certainly think like Jaden's ability to like get to the rim nonstop would be nice for 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 Halliburton. Like I, I definitely think you know as we've kind of talked about, like Keegan would be very useful for them in like a different kind of way. Well, I gotta tell you, I really enjoyed this conversation. I think that you brought a lot to the table, Ben. Thank you. I I appreciate it. I am a longtime fan of both of your work. 
Um, so it is always a, always a pleasure to, to come on and talk hoops with y'all. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on, Ben. And um, I always appreciate you, Mark. Don't don't feel left out. I, <laughs> no, I had to make sure, you know. I, I, Me uh, too. I like I'm... Sometimes. Even though I, uh, the guy who constantly watches the wrong games and uh, <laughs> messes up the time for recording, but, you know, it's I, I have my flaws. I'm not sure which one of us messed up. It was me. I can, it's, I it's can promise you it was me. It's I just funny that neither of us picked clips from those games anyways. Well, like yeah, we exactly. both picked everything from the Purdue and Ohio State games anyways. Yeah. So it all worked out. It worked out perfectly. Okay, Mark, we love you and your crazy little dog anyway. So. Oh, well, I appreciate that. He finally <laughs> calmed down. He was. I had to keep muting my mic because he kept like running around pushing stuff on in the background. He's such a weird dog. Oh, yeah. wait, can I, can I ask one more question? Because yeah. I should have asked Adam this as well. Ben, have you ever had an outshine popsicle? <laughs> <laughs> and if so what is your favorite flavor maybe a long time ago um i i don't know what like, what are the flavors like <laughs> strawberry like, like i fruit. mean they're all natural fruit so basically any no. fruit that you can imagine they have i don't know um I, i'm generally a fan of like cherry flavored things um cherry flavored things are often my favorite i think i think strawberry is always solid um, strawberry is a top-notch outshine popsicle. Yeah, Mark strawberry. likes the cherry, but I'm, I'm glad that you weren't this iffy when we started, that I didn't ask this when we started the pot or else we might have had to cancel the rest of it. <laughs> outshine popsicles are very important to me. Yeah, and we all know Mark, you know, loves his food, so you know, I appreciate it. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I I will always go to bat for the the lime outshine popsicles. I'll probably have one today, to be honest. They're pretty good. Um, I, I like support. ones that are sweet, I, but not too sweet. I, su- like, I, I support that. Yeah. Did I tell you that I found another outshine popsicle flavor, Mark? Oh, really? No, I tracked down. It. I tracked down. I had to drive a little ways. I tracked down. <laughs> I, I tracked that. down pomegranate. And oh, those, those are nice. Like, I wouldn't put them on the same tier as strawberry and pineapple, but they're nice. Like, if you, if you can good. find pomegranate, you grab that box. Mark, are you a key lime pie person? Oh, my God, yes. I, I'm a notably anti-pie person for the most part. <laughs> I think that, I think pie is pretty overrated. Chunky. Yeah, I believe you, like, um, you're on the record about, like, fruit pies being unnecessary. <laughs> yeah, I find them unnecessary. Just eat fruit. Um, but, yeah. Uh, so... But I do love key lime pie. Key lime pie is fantastic. And I could eat it all the time. Um, there's, I'm trying to remember what the brand is. It's like Edwards or something like Edwards. that. Yeah. yeah yes. I was in key lime the pie. Fruit. Yeah. I, I find my trashy desserts wherever I can. Um, I, <laughs> it, it gets the job done. I think that's the best way to put it. Um, it's very delightful. I know it's very, it's a work like pie. It's the Keegan Murray of, of fruity desserts. <laughs> <laughs> Eli Murray. That's what we'll call him from now on uh ben where can people find you <laughs> um yeah i mean the main i just follow me on twitter at uh bjpf underscore half the reason i changed my at was so i didn't have to spell my last name on every podcast <laughs> <laughs> but no i'm yeah i mean i tweet occasionally and i, I guess i'm kind of posting youtube videos now like i'm, yeah, I'm not really sure very how, good you just posted you. a video about keegan um, i did I yeah you can but... i posted it this morning i was inspired by uh, this podcast you can go check that out um and see some more silly comparisons i came up with um but yeah i so I, you can subscribe i think my channel is just my name and like you can find it on my my twitter but he's very yeah, I, I don't have he has much a, he has a tie on in the picture you can <laughs> yeah that's my that's my like senior picture from high school um and like you know 
I don't think the people will be able to see this like a Zoom recording, but I, I certainly don't look like that anymore. You look very different now. Yeah. Relatable. Um, I have aged like four years since then. So I would hope so. Um, well, Ben, this was this was absolutely great, Caitlin. This was great as always. Appreciate you too. Um, to everyone listening, thank you for listening. If you haven't already, be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts. We always want to hear from you and get your feedback. And most importantly, have a good rest of your day.